back to This Week in Innovation. Today, I caught up with uh, Brian, and we talk about the state of startups and what to expect in 2022. I'll give you a hint. Lots and lots of money are flooding into the startup world, which means there's going to be a lot of very interesting technologies that are going to be moving very quickly that will impact retail. So give it a listen and let us know what you think. We are going to talk about the world of startups. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jeff. How are you? How was your Christmas holiday? Christmas was uh, Christmas. My daughter brought home the gift of COVID. She tested positive. We navigated through that very carefully. Oh, wow. She she had sniffles. So hopefully, that, I think that was just Omicron. And yeah, my wife and I both had sniffles. So I don't know if I had it. We didn't bother to, to test. We just basically isolated because it was raining the whole week. So it worked out just fine. So it was a great week, actually. But glad to to be through the into the new year. And hopefully 2022 is much better than it was than 2021 was. How about yours? It was great. It was great. We finally had some good snow in California. Our driveway uh, in my vacation home became the, the sledding yard for all the kids. So we were in the snow playing. It was good. That is fantastic. I remember those days very well. And I enjoyed the picture, seeing the pictures. Uh, mostly I enjoyed seeing those pictures of the snow from my warm house in Morgan Hill. Absolutely. I agree with you. So you have thoughts on the startup world. Tell me about what happened uh, in the startup world in 2020. If you were a startup founder, 2021 was a, the greatest time to be in startup. I'll, I'll just slowly go. I have so much of numbers. But I want to slowly unpack them for you. In the year of 2021, there were $300 billion, 300 B, $300 billion that got venture capital, that got invested in the startup world. That's a lot of money. So you may ask, how does that compare with the previous year of 2020? In 2020, total dollars investors invested was $166 billion dollars that was invested venture capital investments in sales. So now it doubled within one year. It's amazing. It's amazing how the total number of venture capital dollars went into all the startups and it doubled with, especially in a pandemic year. But then again, having said that, pandemic is also the reason why it's also increased. Right? There are multiple forces. One of the forces is that pandemic is increasing the need for digital within a lot of companies. And organizations asking for more and more digital. Consumers are buying more. The, the, the avenues of how they are shopping through digital avenues is increasing, significantly increasing. Even if you look at um, traditional retailers, the big boxes, the brick and mortars, you will see digital numbers increasing. That is also true for pure plays. It's true for DTCs. It's true for a lot of, even for tech providers who are not uh, consumer facing, who are actually B2B providers. So all that stuff fueled the four startups in 2021, right? When revenue increases, guess what? Uh, the VCs want to take the bet on the fast-growing companies, and they did. What was really also interesting is that out of this $300 billion, $190 billion, almost two-thirds of their dollars, went into late-stage companies. What they did was they were looking at companies that are growing fast, and uh, listed companies that could exit faster. And they were putting more and more dollars into those companies. So as you have more numbers, the, the force to push you to the stratosphere is also getting increasing as well. So what does that mean for companies in the early stage? Well, the early stage somewhat suffered a bit in the sense that there is not as much funding as 
previously because everybody is focused on pushing the companies that are growing up and, and pushing them further. There is a little bit of, in addition to that, there is a little bit of this whole, you know, formal and trying to venture VCs trying to get into deals. Right. Everybody wants to get into top deals. Nobody wants to not be in a high-growing, fast-growing companies. Everybody wants to be in those deals. So there's a little bit of that musical chess going on because as valuations of these companies are significantly increasing, more and more dollars are being spent in all these companies, which is interesting because if you look at um, last year, there were mega exits, not only just funding, but also there were big exits, right? Coinbase IPO, DD IPO, Rivian IPO, right? Coupang. Roblox, Nubank, uh, Grab, Robinhood, all these well-known companies, uh, UiPath, all of them became public companies, which means that the VCs who were invested previously a few years back into these deals got their money back and the funds returned, and they are now looking at investing in new opportunities. So what, what we might end up seeing is in 2022, this number, may, this $300 billion may go into $450 billion or even more. There will be more investments, there will be more dry powder and more new fueled energy that will come into this, which may further accelerate, even with Omicron and all the pandemic and all these restrictions happening. The other thing that's also interesting is that the, the digital has become a, a much bigger, stronger force. Consumers are consuming it. At the same time, the, the, all the five forces we talk about, AI, IoT, blockchain, startups, data, all these things are exploding. These IT organizations, businesses are more and more consuming all these types of technologies, right? There are so many products and solutions that are getting rolled out, right? This is creating, this is fueling amazing amounts of... So this is all, it's a, it, it, has, it has been a phenomenally a last year in terms of the number of deals and the amount of companies and the total dollars that, that went into this, into the startup ecosystem. It's super brilliant. And if you're a startup founder, it's one of those... It's one of those golden periods uh, you want to be in. Yeah, so the Roblox startup was interesting in that I've never played that and my kids were after that. But that actually, that one startup has a big, has a big play in what's evolving in the metaverse, I take it, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, that if Roblox is going to be the platform that sort of is going to end up being by default by brands and others as a mature metaverse platform. I think it's being in the right place with the right audience at the right time because as brands are thinking about bringing their innovation into it, Roadblocks has all the hooks required, the right tool sets already available and all the younger audience, the Gen Zs, the, the, the millennials, all of them are there perfectly and the engagement times in these platforms are amazing, right? Because unlike you know, social platforms, the, engaging, the engagement is even deeper. Right? People spend a lot of time creating authentic content, right? Not just only posting, look what I ate for breakfast, which is, is a little bit more deeper because the more deeper involvement is, the deeper the engagement is, which means the, the benefits of you know, a brand being in there, the returns are also higher. Yeah, I, I've just started to dig into the whole metaverse thing and I sort of, to be honest, I laughed at it, but I'm not laughing anymore. When I saw the, the market cap on Roblox, I about had a heart attack. And then having we've done a couple of rooms now around uh, the metaverse, and, and it's something that retailers clearly need to be to understand this whole evolution because I think that's cycling into this whole fundamental transformation. Hey, let's take let's take and break this down by the five forces. So, is hopefully everyone knows what, when we talk about the five forces, we're talking about AI, IoT, blockchain, startups, and data. 
So what does all this money mean when we start talking about AI? Perfect. Great, great question, Jeff. So let me actually talk a little bit about the breakdown on five forces. So, excuse me, if you look at AI, right, in the last t- eight to 10 years, you have about 20, 20, 22,400 startups that are already in the AI space. You can look, you can verify my numbers across various startup databases and you will see it. Oh, I will, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> 22,400 odd startups, right, in the AI space. But guess what? Last year, there was some, some sort of a maturity and sort of a, a plateau in the AI space in terms of new entrants of startups. So last year, there was 523 new companies, 523 new companies that got founded in the AI space. That's slightly lower. Typically, uh, a couple of thousand companies uh, get formed in a given year, given how fast AI has been growing. But it, you are seeing a maturity because a lot of the I think a lot of energy has been going last year into new, especially in the seed stage and early stages, NFT and crypto, because I think entrepreneurs and founders follow the trend of what's hot. So you see a lot more crypto companies compared to AI companies got founded, just founded, right, last year. And also the last quarter um, of last year, the funding for AI, the, the VCs investing in AI also reduced. But, the, but this is for early stage companies, companies that are, got founded in that year and trying to get funding in an AI space. But AI funding for growth companies are actually still increasing because you are still seeing a lot of growth, especially the beautiful thing about AI is AI machine learning. Tech companies is they all have revenue. Average uh, company funded in the AI space has average revenue around $6 million. So it's not vaporware. You're actually seeing companies legitimately putting products out there in the market, uh, selling them to customers and actually reaping uh, benefits out of it. So that's the AI space. Crypto is interesting because crypto, I think with the NFT and all that stuff, there was more companies in crypto formed last year than AI, which is understandable, right? Given NFT, the excitement around non-fungible technology. There was about 687 crypto companies that got formed last year. I think we believe there's around 5,500 blockchain, crypto, you know, Bitcoin type companies out there, startups, especially companies under five years of, uh, of um, age. But yes, last year was, was, you had a lot of tremendous growth in crypto. And we also saw a slowing down of IoT. And IoT was very small last year. There was only 67 new IoT companies formed compared to a total of, in the last eight years, around 13,700 IoT companies. So that's a very small number. So that could mean either IoT companies are not doing well or there is a, it has passed beyond the maturity curve, passed the peak, passed the stabilization, and now into sort of the, the decline land. Or the, yeah, that could be uh, something to note there. Or we need to dig, dig deeper uh, to figure out those things. And then we've also found 260 companies just in retail and commerce and retail tech alone last year. So that's another interesting data point too. So what does that mean, 260-plus retail retail startups or tech startups yeah, yeah. focused on retail? Yeah, yeah. basically, basically tech, there's about 260-odd startups in retail that got founded last year. So when I say tech, it, it could also be like pure play retail too because a lot of these DTC pure play companies are masking themselves as tech company. They just say, you know what, oh, we have this novel way of this new personalization technology, but we guess what? We are going to sell the product online. So a lot of that stuff, they're, they're D2C as well as B2B tech companies. 
and they want to do that because there's more value in being perceived as a as a tech company. What the the WeWork was trying to do by saying they were a, a tech company, not just a, a real estate play. Real yeah, estate absolutely. Play. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, sort of tech powered retail, right? Yeah. So you see that as well in uh, uh, in, in relation to. POB to B tech, that's licensing software. Is an analyst thinking about those numbers? They're, they're a little almost shocking how many companies there are. A silly question, how many AI companies do we need? Great question. <laughs> but I think it depends because I think when any form of major wave comes into the industry, there is always a, a plethora of companies that come in. But as the wave stabilizes and as the, in, as made bigger companies and the buyers of these technologies mature. You see most of the early companies die, go out of existence and then you have a much more stable number of companies. I'm not surprised that there are 22,400 AI companies. But as you see last year, compared to having 4,000 or 3,000 average on a given year, there was only 523 AI companies that got founded. So that means the market is restricting itself. It's stabilizing more and you know, there is a natural evolution that's happening. That's the beautiful thing about, you know, free markets and what applies in the public market also applies in the private market at a different scale. So Brian, we have one foot in the, I have one foot in the, in the startup world and I have another foot very firmly planted in the retail space. So what does all this data, all these companies being created, all this energy, all this brain power mean to retail? I think what's really interesting is there are going to be two or three things that are going to happen. One, of course, is there is going to be that disaggregation that you've seen in finance and other world. We've talked about this in the previous 2022 podcast, that that kind of disaggregation is going to continue in retail. So what it means is startups, companies, and others who have tech, better personalization technologies, better consumer identification technologies, better targeting technologies are going to become full force as direct-to-consumer DTC brands, and they're going to attract the younger millennial um, Gen Z uh, audiences, they may even be able to attract a much bigger audience. So that's one threat in terms of like for traditional retailers, they need to look at, right? So that's one threat. Then from an opportunity perspective, now there is a lot more technology that's available if you are a retailer to power you and, and get you at the same level of technology that Amazon has other to go to market faster, right? So if you're thinking about novel digital solutions you want to bring to market, the areas like metaverse you want to get into, you want to, you know, deploy pretty advanced targeting and AI technologies on your site or across your omni-channel or across all your channels. Uh, there are enough vendors who are providing all this stuff for you, right? There's enough solutions that are out there. There is very little you have to build from ground up. Now it's a matter of integrating and, you know, especially with things like low-code platforms, this becomes even better and better because you can put integrate lots and lots of disparate pieces of technologies together and go to market. I was waiting for the first appearance of the word low code. So I was wondering, <laughs> and I got to say, as I've said it before, it's uh, low code is one of those really interesting technologies from an analyst perspective that solved my biggest problem of how do I transform an industry without quadrupling the IT spend? The technologies you're describing, that's happening. And when I think back to my early days as an analyst, everything was so expensive and so cumbersome and, and so locked in. And, and we're almost literally 180 degrees different from those days. So that's very interesting. I agree with you, actually, on, on the idea that we're in a fundamentally accelerating tech environment in retail, for sure. There's no doubt about that. 
I'm absolutely convinced of that. It's every day now where I'm reading or getting a press release about something that's just insanely cool. And I absolutely agree that COVID was a, as as much as I hate to say anything positive came out of that, it certainly was an accelerant. And that doesn't appear to be slowing down. You really rightly identified how much money is being spent to solve some of these problems, which then ultimately has to boil down even though retail's at 10, about 10, 15% of the, of the overall landscape, a lot of that, a lot of those resources are going to be targeted at retail. If you're a retailer, what do you worry, what do you start worrying about on Monday morning? I think Monday morning, you want to worry about, there are a couple of things going to happen, right? One is, of course, the regular forces of Amazon and all those things are becoming even more powerful, right? Because people at home and clicking on the buy button more frequently. Even in my own home, I see packages coming up every day and I have to like rent a pickup truck to to get rid of the Amazon boxes. So that's, of course, that threat is further amplified, right? That's one problem. The other is that as the tech available for direct-to-consumer brands and other brands, they're all going to consolidate and they're going to bring they, and especially with all these venture capital available, they're going to grow, especially the growth capital required to accelerate these and push these brands across the finish line is already there. Especially in the nowadays, especially in the high, at the late stage growth capital, you are seeing more and more non-traditional firms, right? You're seeing private equities, you're seeing family offices, people who have not been traditionally in venture capital entering in there and playing the, and even secondary players entering in there and just playing that entire growth, late stage growth play even more um, aggressively, which means there's more growth capital. That means companies that earliest uh, startups that earliest struggled to grow now have more growth to push them across finish line. It's really interesting. I've been looking at this idea, Jeff, I've been looking at a couple of companies that went public or the com- couple of companies that, that had mega MNAs last year. So if you look at some of those companies, total venture capital, that they raised compared to the total revenue they they are, they make annually is actually way more because there's a lot of companies that raised way more venture capital compared to the amount of revenue they make. Good companies that are making really good revenue is actually reverse, which means that the amount of money they make in a year should always be lower than the total venture capital, especially at the time when they exit or at the time they when they go IPO. So what that means is that the market is still holding. That means there is a, it's a great market for late stage companies. Like there is so much fuel. What does this mean? It means that there could be a lot of big mega direct-to-consumer retail companies that could grow because there's capital, ample amount of capital available. So those are more on the negative and watch out side, right? Now on the other side, if you look at it, on what can I do side and like on the positive optimistic side for retailer, what's really interesting is all the tool sets required to for you to go to market in digital, not only just digital, but also a deeper engagement technologies with deeper personalization technologies, contextual personalization, rolling out products, uh, doing better delivery mechanisms, all that stuff is available, right? Because there is enough ample, matured technology providers, and especially with the slow code and other things, you can stitch things together and go to market a lot faster. I think it's primed, so that's an opportunity. So I would look at the opportunity to play hard in this industry. I think. Retailers should think about an offensive strategy opposed to a defense strategy, defensive strategy. That must be a tough sell, though, for a lot of retailers. I think retail, almost by definitions, is defensive with with a very few exceptions. But I think what COVID hopefully has taught us all is uh, a defensive strategy in a time of fundamental transformation is probably not a great success strategy. 
Absolutely, Jeff, I agree with you, right? Even if you look at your the old, the, the, the few years ago, the Tigger thing that you came up with, you and uh, Greg and team came up with, if you look at that, the, the amount of funding that they need to do earlier, retailers have to spend all this mega IT budget to successfully go to market, right? Today, you don't need to because a lot of the core innovation and the dollars required to get them to market has already been built by startups and venture capital and all that stuff. So it's already there. Now it's a matter of putting things together, assembling them, which I think the low code is coming in. So like you said, like the 6%, 6-7%, the digit, single-digit number growth uh, investments is good enough for you to be very competitive. That's why I think this message is very powerful, right? We're not telling them to flip, do a flip like Amazon or any of the Silicon Valley companies because we buy just by number, sheer numbers itself, we are seeing that with what you have in the industry and with your current budgets, if you do the right choices, you could actually be very competitive. Yeah, just on that point alone, um, Greg Busick over at IHL put out a state a press release for a study that he's he's just dropping now. I haven't read the study yet, but it but in the press release he did indicate that we're seeing a pretty significant uptake in IT spend, overall IT spend. And on LinkedIn, I asked him a question, all the metaverse type technologies, AR, VR, 3D, does he see that dropping into classic IT spend or into mar- marketing? And I had my hypothesis and he confirmed it, that a lot of that inno- our innovation metaverse technology spend is in marketing, which means there's actually, and marketing is three, four X of the budget that, that IT is, awful lot of innovation that's happening that we might not even be seeing yet because it's not necessarily we typically haven't surveyed a marketing budgets from an IT perspective. And so I guess the call out to, to retailers is be very careful if you're not really exploring some of these technologies because you can see some stuff come out of nowhere if you're not ready. Yeah, I think this whole idea of some of these marketing spend is interesting because marketing doesn't typically build things in-house. So it's always leveraging what's there. So technically, they don't pay the dollars for the R&D. Why? Because they leverage the dollars that somebody else paid for, and they're just writing the coattails, which I think is interesting to testing, test technologies out and get them to market. The technologies yield benefits, then you could build something that's very unique to yourself. I just think we're creating a whole, coming out of COVID, we're creating a whole different retail ecosystem. Just the idea of not having to build from scratch is almost revolutionary if you look back even 10, 15 years ago. And so what we're going to see by you know 2025 is ju- just retailers becoming extremely n- nimble with technology, moving fast, experimenting. We haven't traditionally seen that. The ability to make mistakes. I think we haven't published some studies on this yet, but we have an indication that Gen Z is just a, is more comfortable in things not being as well dialed out, which would make sense given the chaos that they've literally spent their whole life in. Which means retail is going to be a whole different process. It's going to be a much more innovative process, ability to make mistakes ability to try something, whether it's metaverse or whatever. And if it doesn't work, crush it and move on. It's a whole different world. In some ways, a probably a lot better world coming out of COVID yeah. than, than we had going into it. I agree. And the other thing is this whole concept of loyalty to a given brand is going also going to change, right? Because earlier, like what happened in the like earlier is that a given brand, everybody thinks about the, uh, the a size of a, a pie of a given size. And what slice do I take in that given pie. But what happened, that actually was always the concept of how many loyal audience I have, how many people will, all who will, who are loyal to my brand and who are the repeat users. So today, especially with the Gen Z's purchasing, the millennial and the Gen Z purchasing styles and consumption styles, what's really interesting, that whole loyalty part is reducing. But what's interesting though is, 
the, they are purchasing from a lot more places, which means the size of the pie is increasing and they are buying more, which is interesting because now you have to look at like engaging this audience across many different channels, across many different types of offerings, which might be interesting too, right? The attention economy is there's a whole new way to think about how does the attention economy work. One other area, Jeff, I also want to quickly focus on how does, we talked about as if you're a retail executive, retail leader, what you got to do and what will help you, especially given all these funding and the startup growth in last year, right? In 2021. But also if you are a startup founder, if you founded a company last year and you are still in an early stage, because we talked a lot about the growth stage. I like to talk a little bit about the early stage as well now. Okay. And give you, yeah. yeah. So if you're a founder in the early stage, what's really interesting is that you see all the traditional accelerators in a do and early stage seed firms still playing really hard. So you can still get funded. Last year, Y Combinator, I think, did 151 deals. Plug and Play, I think, did 139 plus. Alumni Ventures did about 95 deals. FJ Labs, another you know, early stage player did 45, 50 deals there. So you're seeing a lot of the early stage deals still happening, right? The total dollars may be low previous years, but you're seeing lots and lots of early stage deals. The other thing that's interesting is a um, lot of the venture capital firms have a lot of what you call dry powder, right? Dry powder means basically amount of money each venture capital firm has or allocated to invest that has not already been invested. So that number is also very large. Nowadays, you're seeing firms like, especially like late stage players like Index and others have like 7 billion light speed, which is actually early stage and mid stage has about 4.8 billion, right? Bessemer about 4 billion. So you're seeing a lot of these dry powder companies having quite a bit of dry powder to invest, right? The other area that's interesting in the early stage as well as Series A type world is you also had a lot of first-time emerging funding managers who came into the market. Most of them are early stage and seed funding managers, right? So you had, they raised, emerging funding managers raised about $41 billion. Basically, Jeff, these are new VCs, right? Compared to last year, in the previous year, in 2020, there was only $27 billion spent into new VCs. The LPs, the limited partners, invested about $27 billion in 2020. But in 2021, they invested about $41 billion. So it's just double, like not double, but 75%. 74, right? And these are new players. They're hungry. They're making deals. They want to move fast. Move fast. Wow. Exactly. So that's also opportunity for startup founders too. That means you could have a, a group of series, uh, early stage firms syndicate together to do your rounds a lot faster. And that's been happening for the last few years. But now you're going to have even more unnamed players who can be a part of your deal. So exciting times for sure. I think 2022 looks to be, as you said, uh, one of a lot of energy, a lot of excitement and some big challenges. Probably a pretty good place to to put a pin in it there. Brian, I, I think I'm going to NRF. I'm not sure, but I think I am. So we'll we'll see. Maybe we'll hook up in another couple of weeks. Thanks for your insights today. Absolutely, Jeff, and be safe. <laughs> That's my middle name. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. For more info, refer to the pod notes below. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us grow. I'm your host, Jeff Roster, analyst at large. If you want to connect, follow us on Twitter at JeffPR or at Brian Sathanation, or connect with us on LinkedIn. Visit my website at roster.retail.com or brians at editor.ai. 
Until next time, stay safe and have a great week.